From KLIN Radio and the Lincoln Independent Business Association, this is the Lincoln Business Beat, a weekly summary of news affecting area business and a review of interesting topics and issues. Along with Leba's Carter Thiel, and uh, I'm Mark Vale. Glad to have you joining us. Lincoln Business Beat is made possible by the 1890 Initiative. Visit 1890nebraska.com, where 100% of your donation goes directly to Husker student-athletes. Carter, the city uh, officially approved the new LES budget, and it's higher. Yeah, yeah, you know, it's nobody likes paying more for the same thing, but it's pretty understandable in this case. Bud talked about this on the show a couple of weeks ago, and a lot of people have been talking about it over the last short period of time. Um, the budget is up $31 million from this year's. Um, the main reason behind that is for the employee retention. That's understandable when your retention rate goes from 95% one year to 86% the next. That's something you're going to want to invest in. And I think business owners understand in the long run, it's much cheaper to keep your existing employees than it is to hire from the outside. Oh, absolutely. We've talked a lot about workforce development, workforce mm-hmm. retention, mm-hmm. and it takes money to uh, do that. Actually, the cost of the energy itself is down a little bit. Yeah. But, but inflation has hit everything else that they have to deal with. <laughs> yeah, and, you know, it, it's still better. The rate going up 3.7% this year and then another couple of percent next year. That's still better. A gradual incline is better than them trying to keep it as low as possible. And then all of a sudden in one year, well, we have to raise it up seven, eight, nine percent now. So, Well, it's good to have that process done. And, and uh, as Bud has said many times, uh, you know, things that are, are when people show up, things like this mm-hmm. uh, get solved. So. Yeah, they... Uh, uh, Mrs. Emily Koenig, she came to our government affairs meeting back in October and presented it at the city council a couple of weeks ago and very thorough. They put a lot of research and a lot of work into it. It really feels like they're offering um, something of the best that they can right now. So we appreciate that. Other things this past week, the Lebo Lunch monthly lunch uh, was sponsored by Perry Persh, Persh Legal Services, but heard from Mike Hilgers, and uh, I know there were some new members that were mm-hmm. talked about as well. Uh, yeah. Why don't you run through that. Yeah, so if you are in need of business legal services, contact Perry Persh. Um, he's one of the best attorneys around, and if it's not his issue, he knows the guy who is. So, Persh Legal Services. Um, Attorney General Mike Hilgers. It was really nice to have him as our guest speaker. We had a great turnout, of course, because of that. Everybody likes to hear what he was saying. Um, He talked about, you know, his, his upbringing. He started his own business before becoming Attorney General, and he was once a sole practitioner doing all of the work in his own law office, the paralegal work, the accounting, the payroll, all of the management for it, and uh, by the time that he moved up to attorney general, he had over 120 other attorneys working across the country. So 
he's got the experience at attracting and retaining good attorneys and knows what it's like to run a business yeah I yeah mean, not not just you know from the uh, 30,000 foot view but actually right in there day to day and making payroll and that type of thing yeah and he was very vocal about that the the Liba organization was so important to him is so important to him because he does share that experience with our members um so with with his work in his office right now he's he's added five attorneys um because he's got a lot going on in legal battles with not only federal regulators but with large states that are pushing forward their agendas through regulation i think it'd be it's good to remind everybody that one of the biggest cases was the biden v nebraska that uh, one of the attorneys in his office argued that before the Supreme Court on the student loan uh, that the Biden administration was trying to push through, and they were successful on it. I mean, yes, state of Nebraska versus Biden. He, st- he cited that one. Um, that was a case that his office in the state of Nebraska won, and I lost. So um, <laughs> I still, I, you know, I respect the legality of it. You know, I've been to law school. I understand the argument the President of the United States having the power to unilaterally declare billions of dollars worth of debt. Um, but, but um, yeah, that was that was a yep. very big case. It, it was argued on the fact that the uh, responsibility and the only way that it, that could have been implemented is if Congress. Congress, acted. yep. It has and, to and go so through it, Congress. It was, it was a separation of powers. And that, you still see some states, and that's kind of the next thing, is like some states like New York, California, they're just, they're just trying to, at the state level, saying, well, we're forgiving it for borrowers in our state. Um, specifically with California, <laughs> this is really interesting to me. He talked about California having the sixth largest GDP in the world by itself, just the state of California. They have started to realize that the agendas that they're trying to push, instead of going through the federal process of trying to implement it across the country, they can instead just enact certain state laws and state regulations that require all of the other states who do quite a bit of business with California to adhere to their policies and thus having that impact asserting themselves amongst everybody else. And Nebraska agriculture has actually been mm-hmm. one of the, the on the forefront of uh, arguing that because they put in some some pretty uh, stringent yep. rules on pork production, yeah. and and it's uh, it's basically going to keep most of the Midwest pork producing states from sell- selling pork in mm-hmm. California once it's all implemented. Yeah, talked about how they're requiring the pork that they import, um, or that Nebraska and other states export, has to be. Uh, the pigs have to be raised a certain way, fed a certain way, and it's really disruptive to a lot of states' economy when we do quite a bit of business with California. They're a large state, and it's just the fact of the matter. So um, it's important to fight those legal battles when um, it could cause such a disruption for not only Nebraska, but to set the precedent for a lot of states and understand that they're protected. So, uh, Attorney General Hilger has also talked about a recent decision that came uh, out of his office uh, that had to do with inspectors general from the legislature having access to some of the administrative stuff. And he kind of gave us an update on that. Um, 
it's still, uh, it looks like the legislature is going to be taking up, uh, he and some legislators mm-hmm. uh, did not agree on that. They'd been in a forum earlier in the week, but he kind of gave a, a summary of that, and, and we'll see where that ends up, especially as the legislature comes back, because there's a few, uh, there's a few legislators that are not very happy with his opinion. <laughs> and of course, he's seven years in that, mm-hmm. uh, or six years, yeah. I guess, in yeah. the legislature, so he he knows that he was speaker, yeah, and so he knows the process is there. He knows what it's like to be a business owner, and he knows what it's like to be a politician. So get the best of both worlds. He also talked about some other things that the office is working on, though. Yeah, so um, this is interesting. With the Delta 8 and Delta 9 variants of marijuana in the state of Nebraska, specifically with Delta 8, we see it every year around Halloween time on the news, like parents, be sure to check your your kids' Halloween candy and make sure that there are no cannabis edibles in those uh in, in that candy, um, it's getting tougher and tougher because how some of these Delta 8 vendors are marketing their edible products, they look, they come in packages that look nearly identical to regular food or candy products. Okay, and while, you know, you technically can't overdose from a marijuana, but with Delta 8, there have been cases of people not only dying because the Delta-8 that they ingested was infused with another substance, but just because they had too much Delta-8 in their system. There have been cases across the country of kids and adults dying from that. And so if your kid, if, if a, a parent buys one of those Delta-8 edibles and their ki- they happen to leave them out on the shelf and their kid is walking through the house and sees what they think is a bag of Cheetos, but it's actually Cheetos with two S's, and they end up eating a lot of it, they can end up in a life-threatening situation. So it's important to go after those vendors and those advertising techniques. They did an extensive statewide uh, investigation, and part of what he was explaining is how uh, they were mislabeled in many instances, these products, uh, where where one would say they had like two grams of Delta-8 or something like that, and there'd be like 200 or 800 grams of it or, mm-hmm. or milligrams. I don't remember the exact number, but he said that they, they found a lot of that that was mislabeled. Mm-hmm. And that uh, that becomes part of, uh, what did he call it? Oh, the consumer protection that, that the Attorney General's office is the, mm-hmm. the only agency in the state that can take that type of thing on. Mm-hmm. And he's doing that. Also, uh, <clears throat> got some new uh, LIBA members in the fold uh, in, in the last few weeks. Yeah. Oh, just one other thing from Hilgers's uh, presentation that I just have to mention that I found so compelling. He talked about teaming up with organizations across the country to uh, engage in legal battles against Meta, the parent company of Facebook and Instagram, um, for allegations of their their algorithms targeting young people. Okay. So the baseline for this is that. With adolescents, a high consumption of social media content is linked to higher rates of depression, anxiety, eating disorders, suicide, um, a lot of bad things. And so Meta has been very public about saying, well, our, our algorithms, we don't target younger people. We don't try and get them 
hooked into our platforms. But as it turns out, through numerous studies, it has been shown that those algorithms are designed to do exactly that. So I can certainly understand that that's a battle worth fighting if you want parents to be in control with their kids and make sure that their kids are healthy. He, he specifically noted Instagrammers is the one Instagram, yeah, is the big one. Everybody's living their best life on Instagram, painting themselves in the best possible light, and that's not reality. And if you're just consuming a lot of that, you can get a uh, a warped perception. So, and, and you said he's joined with other states on this. Yes. So this is not going to be a yeah. go it alone, Nebraska. Yeah, states, other parental, national parental organizations for parents' rights. It's a it's a big deal. Um, yeah, special shout out to the three new businesses who became LIBA members recently. We got Shaley Bain with Vibrant Healing Mom, Matt Litt with Larchdale Associates. And Sarah Madsen with Madsen's Bowling and Billiards. Sarah, Mark is a huge bowler. I'm here to tell you. I, so. I heard that. And <laughs> I heard that this is a return to Lima for uh, yes. Madsen. So. Yeah, she was here before and now, and now we're back. Holiday season and everybody's calendar uh, gets uh, filled up very quickly. And Libra's got a few things yet before the end of the year. Yeah, so have a happy th uh, Thanksgiving holiday. Um, and then we're going to come back in full force because on Monday after Thanksgiving, we have our community access meeting with LPS Superintendent Dr. Paul Gaussman. And he'll be there to discuss what LPS is looking at going forward. That'll be a good one. Is so. That the one? Or he's going to uh, discuss some of their strategic plan. Yeah, planning, the five-year strategic plan. I was at a couple of those meetings and uh, just looked at what they had to say. A lot of the language, uh, w w what the conversation was about at the ones that I was at was about their language in their mission statements and a lot of their overarching uh, goals for their for their students for the educational program. So it, it'll be interesting to see that expanded on at the meeting. So if you want to come to that, be sure you do. He is looking for public input. They still are gathering public feedback. So Monday um, at 11.45 a.m. at our Calvert office, if you want to come to that, feel free to do so. Then the next day, Tuesday, the 28th, we have our Coffee and Contact, 7.30 in the morning, hosted by Body Fit Training at 17th and Pine Lake. Body Fit Training, so it'll be a good time. You can bring some workout gear, get some coffee in your system, get some energy, and then, you know, get, get, some, uh, get some CrossFit in after, after that before work. It'll be a fun time. All right. And then uh, it looks like the uh, Liba holiday party uh, is back after the pandemic. Yeah. At least the planning is underway. Yeah. For December, we aren't actually going to have a Coffee and Contacts or a BizNet. So in light of that, we are going to sneak in a Liba holiday party. It will be on Thursday, December 21st. Um, we're going to make sure it's a great party and just keep in mind, Bud is leaving at the end of December. And so, you know, it'd be really nice if we had, if, if we had a really good turnout for that one. So it'll be your last chance to see him while he is CEO of Liba. So, you know, if you can really make, make the time to come to that one. One other one that we want to put on the calendar because it's already scheduled, and that's for the 19th, is the December Liba Luncheon yes. with uh, Governor Jim Pillen. He yes. returns. He was the speaker last year on the December Luncheon mm -hmm. as governor-elect, so this will be his uh, 
second visit to Lima. Yeah, that'll be a very happy homecoming um, from last year to this year. So uh, we had a great turnout for the attorney general this month. And so we expect a pretty good turnout for Governor Pillen next month. In our deep dive in our next section, uh, we're going to talk, uh, what, housing? In, uh, yes. Virginia. This is a, a fairly complicated, uh, and, and you've been in quite a few meetings, and I think you've done mm-hmm. a lot of research on this, so it's going to be interesting to see what uh, the county assessor's assessment method on housing developments, uh, because there's been a lot of uh, discussion mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, oh, and, yeah. and gnashing of teeth, maybe. We'll do that in our deep dive next. Husker fans, you've probably heard about NIL, name, image, and likeness, and now you can have an immediate effect on the success of the programs. The 1890 Initiative is Nebraska's premier NIL company, and with your help, we can maximize our student-athletes' opportunities with NIL and prepare them for life after college. Nebraska has always been a leader in college athletics. Let's do the same with NIL. To learn more, visit 1890nebraska.com, where 100% of your donation goes directly to Husker student-athletes. That's 1890nebraska.com. Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Waiting on a tax return? Hopefully it ends up in your hands. Fraudulent tax returns due to identity theft increased by 30% in 2023. If you're in a bind this tax season, LifeLock can help. Our U.S.-based restoration specialists are experts dedicated to helping solve your identity theft issues. And all LifeLock plans are backed by the Million Dollar Protection Package. So we'll reimburse you up to the limits of your plan if you lose money due to identity theft. Help protect your information this tax season with LifeLock. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com aware. Back in the Lincoln Business Beat with our deep dive. Uh, Carter, uh, Section 42 housing developers are fighting back against the county assessor's assessment method. Um, let's talk about Section 42 housing and how what changed or how is that assessment being done now? So a few weeks ago when I first did the podcast, I made note that earlier this year, the Lancaster County Assessor had made the flip into uh, evaluating or assessing the property valuations of these Section 42 housing properties using the traditional market rate model instead of the income-based model that they had been using for the past several years, and that the result was skyrocketing valuations for a lot of these properties and corresponding skyrocketing skyrocketing property taxes. Let's let's uh, give some examples of section 42 housing. That might be like senior assisted living, yes. uh, nursing homes, things like that. Yeah, a for low income housing, a lot of it and um, anything with low income tax credit um, housing projects is uh, you know, the market and the developers within it, they are feeling under threat. The the current uh, owners, property developers, they are still having to deal with that financially. They're they're in a place right now where they kind of have to take things one step at a time. If their property is already constructed and they're already underway, 
However, with new developers, I made the point that there was a lot of skepticism in the market. Well, why would anybody want to invest in building a new low-income housing property when we don't know if we're going to ge generate a cash flow with the property taxes? This has been the response to that. So a couple of affordable housing developers are aligning with the Urban Development Department and petitioning the Planning Commission to declare their respective development areas as blighted and substandard in order to obtain our friendly taxable increment financing, also known as TIF. Now, if you are from Lincoln, a resident of Lincoln, or you're listening to this podcast, you probably have some understanding of what TIF is. But in case we caught somebody new to town, um, a brief overview is that a petitioning developer will ask the planning commission to declare a property as, or an area as blighted and substandard and in need of redevelopment and offer a plan to the Planning Commission to redevelop the area. Upon the Planning Commission's uh, approval of that declaration, the city will issue funds to the developer to redevelop the area and will issue bonds for the redevelopment. Now, whatever the assessed property valuation is of that area at the time that the TIF period begins, will remain the assessed value that the developer owner will have to pay property taxes on throughout the extent of the TIF period, which is up to 15 years in most cases and up to 20 years in cases of extreme blight and substandardness, but usually 15 years. So then whatever increase in property valuation there is throughout the TIF period, the property tax that would have been paid on that increased value is instead used to pay off the debt of the redevelopment. A, a simple analogy is a homeowner buying a home on a 15-year mortgage. The home's not in that good of shape. They make a bunch of repairs, improvements, additions to it, and so the home's value goes way up. And instead of paying property taxes on that incre with that increased value, the funds would then instead be used to pay off the homeowner's mortgage and costs of improving the home, okay? So, this Monday, City Council heard testimony from Peter Hind, Director of the Urban Housing Development Department, and ended up passing two applications from the department. One, to declare the College View redevelopment area between 46th Street and 49th Street as blighted and substandard, and another application to expand the south of downtown redevelopment plan to include the Center Terrence redevelopment project at 1000 South 13th Street. That will be used for roughly 125 multifamily affordable housing units. There will be some commercial real estate included in that, but the primary reason that they're doing that, and they made this clear, is to include those 125 affordable housing units. Okay, now, legal representative for that project, the South 13th Street, South of Downtown Community Development Organization representative Andrew Willis, he testified at the hearing and said, very plainly, with low-income housing, 
having rent restrictions that limit how much revenue can be generated through rent, taxable increment is financing, ta taxable increment financing is needed to fund these projects. He was then followed by Fred Hoppe, another real estate attorney who testified on the matter and he said things, I think this is a perfect summation of the mindset of uh, low-income housing developers in this current climate. He said, I wouldn't build a project in Lancaster County without taxable increment financing because the way the county is treating low-income tax credit projects right now is dangerous because we don't know what our cash flow is going to be. But with TIF, we can at least recapture whatever increase in taxes the county may throw at us through the process of 15 years. That right there is the perfect summary. Yeah, it is, and, and it goes to how, um, how tenuous some of these projects could be from mm -hmm. a financial cash flow option. Let me, let me ask this. <clears throat> affordable housing that's, that's now in place that mm -hmm. has been reassessed, uh, they have rent controls as well. Are they getting hit kind of from both sides on this? Yes. Yeah, they are. And like I mentioned, they're, current, they're still in that current limbo state, um, just taking each step in front of them. I mentioned when I did it a few weeks ago that there will likely be new legislation on this soon. The process is still technically in court. I did some research and I couldn't find an update on it to see if it had reached the Supreme Court yet. But provided, you know, we're almost a legislative session now and uh, they just kind of have to wait and see if this matter gets resolved within the next few months before the next fiscal year. Would this most likely be legislation that would then require low-income or affordable housing developments to be taxed on, it, on the income potential of that rather than on the market value of the property? I think that that's what they'd be looking at, but I mentioned before it's in the Constitution that you have to evaluate, you have to assess properties uniformly. And so if it does require a constitutional amendment, that may be one thing. If they can find some sort of loophole in that provision in the Nebraska state constitution, then that's great. But there, there needs to be resolution on this within the next few months. So by the time the next fiscal year comes around and property taxes are... Um, need to be paid again that these low-income housing properties know what's going to happen. But for these future developments, the ones that were just approved yesterday, they have the peace of mind knowing that for the next 15 years, which the situation will be resolved by then, they are they can have peace of mind for that. They, they have a way to, to make it cash flow with mm -hmm. that type of situation. But we got to. I've heard some of the numbers on on some of these projects were. Uh, it was up like a thousand nine hundred percent, a thousand eighteen hundred percent. Like mm -hmm. from, uh, it was just phenomenal. Some property. of them were lucky if they were only up a hundred and twenty five percent. If you looked across the board, five hundred, six hundred, nine hundred, a thousand percent. It was it was just absolutely ridiculous. However. 
this does bring to the subject of discussion there was somebody else there from the public who testified in opposition uh, of these properties being classified as blighted and substandard because you know with Lincoln um, we understand you know when when TIF was introduced the intention was more so here's an abandoned factory or an abandoned strip mall over here and it once housed a Toys R Us and a blockbuster video but now it's abandoned there's weeds growing on the outside windows are broken it's structurally unsound and that property would better be used in a way that benefits the general welfare it could be a hospital it could be a new mall with stores that are up to date it could be affordable housing so if you're a developer and you want to take a crack at it, you can do so. You can redevelop the property using taxable increment financing. Whereas now, with the way that TIF is written in the statutes, it's so easy to have an area be declared as blighted and substandard. For an area to be considered blighted, it only requires evidence of one out of four elements. Substandard requires one out of 12 elements. And I'm not going to go through all of them, but the age of the building itself, age of the surrounding area's buildings are a factor in both of them. So even if a home is $500,000 in value because it was built in 1973, that can be a box checked for a consultant doing a study on behalf of a developer to present to the planning commission. So um, I'm, just, I'm just saying, and I think you have an idea of this with how much it's been talked about for the past couple of years, but I think you could really get anything short of a gated community to be approved and declared as blighted and substandard. But even if you couldn't, with this next case, the next case with the College View redevelopment area, there shows another method that you could still get TIF funding. With this area, the mapping that was chosen for it and that was approved by the Planning Commission as blighted and substandard, it's, it's nearly a perfect rectangle, except that the northeast and the southeast corners of that map are blotted out. They protrude out to get more of the area around Union College. And Councilwoman Sandra Washington, she made the astute observation and questioned the representatives from the housing department and asked them, was this decision to carve the map in this way made so that the determination could be reached? sort of asking if it was a TIF gerrymandering, <laughs> so good, to speak. Good, good analysis. Yeah, no, but, but the response to that was no. It was, it was chosen like that to incorporate some of the commercial uh, districts that were in distress in the area. And that area, the College View area, zoning by itself to begin with is kind of weird. I will take their word for it. I am not implying that anybody gerrymandered the map to achieve stiff, TIF status. What I am saying is that theoretically, if I'm a developer and I want to build a new gym in a gated community or a really nice place, even if I can't get that exact area 
to be declared blighted and substandard, I could still just carve my map to include some of the lower income properties a few blocks over under the justification that those people will also probably go to the gym and hire a consultant, do some work, and using that data that's obtained, uh, probably have a good argument to have it declared blighted and substandard. So I would summarize this by saying, is Lincoln over blighted? Probably. Is, is TIF being excessively used? Probably. But are affordable housing market developers using TIF to secure intermediate financial well-being under the current circumstances with their market, the best opportunity to really hone down on that? Probably not. Well, complicated to say the least, <laughs> yeah, or, or deep, yeah. So this probably be before the legislature, uh, or could be, mm -hmm. uh, at least it, it most likely will be discussed whether or not, you know, not there'll be any legislation or as you mentioned, a constitutional amendment put forward. Mm -hmm. We'll have to wait and see. Yeah, yeah, and that's for the market. We do have it in our legislative priorities, um, which we will be talking about next week, that we want to see both simplification for the TIF process and um, to see the housing market be uh, be encouraged to... For, for, for developers to develop in the housing market because, you know, that's our concern. We want to grow the city of Lincoln. And so it's not right to take away from this that we're suggesting TIF needs to be restricted because that's, that's, not, that's not what it is. Um, it just needs to be simplified so that it can be used effectively in a way that encourages development. And as you mentioned, uh, and it was mentioned at the LIBA lunch, the uh, LIBA uh, legislative priorities have been put together for the upcoming session. We're going to talk about that in a future edition of the Lincoln Business Beat, I take it. Mm -hmm. I think next week, Bud and I are going to tag team this and we can go through everything. And, and that'll be going out to members, I believe, in the next few days. Uh, yeah, yeah. We're actually putting it together and uh, sending it to all of the politicians as well. So. Right. So we'll uh, we'll do that in a deep dive here in a very uh, very short order. So appreciate you uh, joining us today, Carter, and uh, glad to have you in on the Lincoln Business. Thanks, today. thank as, you very much, as, Mark. As we transition Bud into the private sector once again, this has been the Lincoln Business Beat from the Lincoln Independent Business Association and KLIN Radio, reviewing and updating business owners and community members about what's happening in the business community in and around Lincoln. Along with Leba's Carter Thiel, I'm Mark Vale. Lincoln Business Beat is made possible by the 1890 Initiative. Visit 1890Nebraska.com where 100% of your donation goes directly to Husker student-athletes.